to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Sarah Blakemore. And I'm Susanna Ruddock. That's, that's new. Wow. Hey, who are Susanna. You? Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast. Well, this isn't your you. first no, take with us. No, it's not my first trip with you, but it is my first time in this amazing studio. <laughs> We are so glad that you're here. Um, we have a, a great episode coming up all about Eye Donation Month. You know a little bit about that. Yes, I actually worked in the eye banking industry before moving to Lopa a couple months ago. So She moved to Lopa. We got her. Yeah, we're so excited <laughs> to have you, too. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, I'm glad to be part of this big family. All right, so we'll explore that on this episode. Sarah, what are you talking about? Today, we're going to talk about how to take care of ourselves through emotional first aid. Emotional first. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like those words together. Mm -hmm. All right. All that and more right here on The Gifted Life. You guys ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Here on The Gifted Life Podcast, we are talking about Eye Donation Month, which is why Miss Susanna Ruddick has joined us of LOPA. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing today? Good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I heard about her background, huh, Miss Sarah? Yeah. Where'd yeah. you work before you worked at LOPA? I was at Southern Eye Bank. That's the um, one of three eye banks in the state of Louisiana, but we manage the greater New Orleans area. And now I'm with the LOPA team. Yes. I'm so passionate about um, donation in general. And when we talked about Eye Donation Month, we thought, oh, how, how perfect. Mm-hmm. And then you have a connection to our guest, which is, which is even great. So we have lots to get to. We want to introduce you to our newest friends. Uh, but you want to take sure, the reins and, yes. and tell us who we're talking Absolutely. to? Absolutely. So today we have the pleasure of having Kevin Cochran on the phone with us. He is the president and CEO of EBAA. That stands for the iBank Association of America. Uh, Kevin, how are you today? I am just great. Susanna, how about you? I'm great. And it's such a pleasure to be able to discuss iDonation Month with you. So tell us a little bit about iDonation Month. Sure. Thank you. Um, we have been celebrating Eye Donation Month since 1983. It is a commemoration that was uh, recognized by President Ronald Reagan, uh, and it is our opportunity to bring more attention to the work that is done by eye bankers and by physicians to recover, prepare, and then uh, transplant corneal tissue to provide, uh, you know, to, to restore sight to people who are either blind or visually impaired because of diseases or injuries to their cornea. Well, we love the plans that you guys have have come up with and the new theme. Like we were just sitting here and it led to a conversation about, yeah, this is this is right. Like we think you guys are, are right on track. So the new theme is a community of compassion. And I kind of want you to delve into that a little bit and, and tell us why you chose that and why it's so important uh, to be at the forefront with that message. Absolutely. Be happy to. The eye-making world is like a, like any major undertaking. There are a lot of people that are involved in the process, and we didn't want to leave anybody out. Uh, The fact is that from the very beginning, the the process starts because either an individual who's died or their family member says, yes, we want to donate this corneum. We want to provide the tissue in order to restore the site. And then there are countless staff who work within the eye bank to recover the tissue, to evaluate it, um, and to then prepare it for the surgeon, 
the surgeon performs the surgery, plus there's an entire surgical team for that. Uh, and then there are all the other people that are involved in the in the broader community, um, folks within the eye banking, with organ procurement organizations and tissue banks who raise awareness um, so that individuals know that there is the opportunity to donate. Uh, people within the hospitals where we're doing the recoveries of corneal tissue uh, who uh, will sometimes be um, sometimes the first people who introduce the idea of being a cornea donor or an organ and tissue donor as well to the family. Uh, so there's a lot more than just moving a, a tissue from a donor to a recipient. We wanted to recognize everybody. And uh, so that's where the community part comes in. The compassion part comes in is the fact that this is all an altruistic gift. This is, uh, you know, we're going to be hearing the story of um, Nia and her daughter, Zoe. Uh, Aolani, who was her donor, Aolani and her family didn't know Zoe. Uh, but when their daughter died, when Aolani passed away, they made the decision to make this uh, make this donation. And it is all this altruistic gift. And it comes out of compassion and the sense that we are all together. And it's important to be able to share whatever we can to improve the lives of those around us. Yeah. And you mentioned it. I mean, it truly is a gift of compassion. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about how critical it is our eyesight. And so we have a mom on the line with us. We're going to introduce Miss Nia, who is Zoe's mom, and she's going to tell us how important the gift of sight truly is. Hi, Nia. Hi. How are you guys? We're doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Nia, we are looking at this picture of this super sweet Zoe with this. You can't help but smile when you're looking at this baby. And I am so excited to learn uh, just her, her milestones, where we are now, um, and and then where your family was with donation when you learned that this was going to be your path. Yes, uh, she's actually doing incredible. She started pre-K this year (gasps) and she was excited to start. I don't think she really understood what that meant, but when she really got into the groove of it, she's excited to come home and tell me about her friends and all her teachers. And she actually is also playing t-ball. I can see that. I mean, that is amazing. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun. It's really neat to see just how well she is doing. And you can't help but to think about all this when she is playing, that if she never received that amazing donation from Aolana's family, where she would be today. So tell me, Nia, what was Zoe's disease that made her need a corneal transplant? So Zoe was born with um, something called a Peter's anomaly, which apparently... to um, described to me, it was that her cornea just fully wasn't formed in the womb when I delivered her. Wow. That's that's um, unheard of. I don't think many of us have heard of that. So, Nia, how was Zoe diagnosed with uh, Peter's anomaly? So about a week after we left the hospital, after she was delivered, we got in contact with Dr. Bowman through Zoe's pediatrician, and we saw him about a week and a half after her appointment, her first checkup appointment. And um, to him, he had seen so many of her cases. So within the hour that we were there, he was able to diagnose her and fully explain what was going on and how it happened and what he thought our next step should be. So you as a mom, you have this beautiful baby. Um, What's going through your mind? Did you know about donation? Were you familiar with it? Was it a positive for you? Oh, my gosh. A thousand things. Um, It I I was 
I was positive in the sense of knowing that Dr. Roman was very confident in telling me what he thought we should do and how how well she would do. But I honestly, I was very scared knowing that she was going to have to go through a transplant surgery. I mean, before Zoe, nobody in either my me or my husband's side had ever had to have this type of surgery. So we were both kind of just blindsided and didn't really know what to think. We just wanted to do what was best for Zoe. Um, but Dr. Bowman really, really helped us stay comfort- comfortable and confident through the whole thing. So there was a little bit of fear, but a lot more confidence through it all. Yep. And so she received her gift of sight. She received her corneal transplant. And you met the donor's family, correct? Yes, we did. We did. That was a that was a very emotional, very emotional weekend. And how did that process get started? Um, so I actually received a letter from the iBank from uh, Mr. William Timmons explaining to me what was going on, explaining that the donor's mother just wanted to send me a letter and just kind of tell me her backstory about her family and her daughter. Um, and so once I said that was okay, I received a letter from her, I believe, a couple days after and then started the process of if we were okay with meeting them and if they were okay with meeting us. And once everybody agreed, it was about, it was probably about a month and a half later that we all got to get together and formally meet. Oh my goodness. Now I'm looking at uh, Aolani's picture as well. Uh, Kevin, I know that that you're still with us. IDonationMonth.org is like a one-stop shop. Is that where they can see these, these photos as well? You guys have to see these photos if you're listening to this story. Exactly. IDonationMonth.org is our website. It has a number of tools that we provide to our iBanks and to hospitals and others to use during the month of November. But it also has a video uh, that we put together telling Zoe's story and Aolani's story. I mean, there's a lot, as Nia tells the story in the video, about meeting uh, Rosie, who was um, Aolani's mom, and how there was this kind of immediate connection between the two of them. So We've done these videos for IO Donation Month in the past, but this is the one that everybody tears up. Uh, just seeing this, you know, four-year-old girl who's reading a book uh, is is ready to you know, dress to go to school, and you can just see how how this transformed her life uh, and gave her the opportunity that uh, had she not gotten the transplant, she might not have had. Uh, such great story, great campaign. Nia, I can hear the, the love in your voice and gratefulness as a mom. So Aolani, you're meeting the family. Tell me kind of what's going through your mind, what's going through your heart. And then what do you know? What do you want us to know about Aolani from, from your perspective? Honestly, when I um, first walked up to her, all I wanted to do was hug her because even though it, it's such a good thing for me, it just crumbled me to remember my daughter received the donation, but it it took another mom losing her baby to get me there. And that is something that I always keep with me and just always it just it just aches at my heart. So I want the first day I saw her, I just wanted to hug her, but I wanted to give her I guess appropriate space so that she didn't she wasn't overwhelmed or didn't feel uncomfortable. So I kind of just let her come to me. But it was really, really sweet to see how instantly Zoe took to her mom. She just, she let her hold her through the whole ceremony. And it was sweet because her, um, um, Aolani's mom, Rosie, just sat and stared at Zoe the whole time. And I couldn't help but think she just was, you know, missing her daughter and seeing her through Zoe. And it, it was, it was a really, really heartwarming experience 
And um, she shared beautiful stories about her daughter and how she loved to play sports and play with her brothers. And she, she sent me lots of pictures and she was a really, really sweet girl. What a powerful story. Um, Donation has this beautiful um, ability to bring families together that may have never known each other if it wasn't for donation. Um, Kevin, I have a question for you. Uh, how many uh, transplants take place in, a, in any given year, give or take? Yeah, so in 2019, we provided over 50,000 corneas for transplants here in the United States, and that's 100% of the demand. So the, we're fortunate that we have a uh, adequate supply of corneal tissue here in the United States so that we don't have waiting lists the way they have uh, for organs, just because organs are recovered under different circumstances. There are a lot fewer people that are eligible to be organ donors. Pretty much everybody is eligible to be a cornea donor. And in fact, after fulfilling the demand here in the United States, we provided over 28,000 tissues for transplant overseas. Most of the rest of the world doesn't have the same capacity that we have. So they do have shortages and we provide tissue whenever we can to help out in other countries. I love this story. IDonationMonth.org for more. Uh, Kevin, I want to talk to you, a, a community of compassion. Uh, when you film that story, when you see these two families together, I mean, that's got to inspire you, your staff, uh, just the community. I mean, look look what's happening. Oh, it's it's amazing. It really is. Um, you know, nowhere else do you get to go to a job where when people ask you what you do, you can say, well, I, you know, I work at an association and my members make blind people see. I mean, that's biblical stuff. Um, so it really does uh, make us all very clear on the value of the work that we do and, and helps us, you know, just work harder at it because you know that you're making such a significant impact on the lives of the people that you serve. Right. And Miss Nia, how are you involved in the community of compassion? You know, I try to only, I, I actually went to Zoe's school um, about a week ago and they were having a, um, a um, assembly through, you know, learning their bodies and different things going on. And her teacher actually asked me to come in and talk about Zoe's eyes. And so it was neat to get to share the story with the staff members and how important it is, you know, for the kids to always stay healthy and, you know, taking and eating the correct things in order to keep their, you know, their bodies moving and growing in the right direction. So it was neat to get to share that and, and teach how Zoe came up and got what she got and helping if anybody had any questions to be able to provide them, you know, people for them to get in contact with for things in that direction. So you've really taken this as an opportunity to to share your experience and impact, uh, have an impact about donation in your community. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. We need we need more people like you. I know. Can you move to Louisiana? Yes. No offense, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Kevin, I have another question for you. Since we are living in the year that we are now, how is COVID affecting eye donation and transplantation? We were hit very hard at the beginning of COVID. Um, when we, we asked our eye banks and we asked them on a regular basis of how they are coping with, um, with COVID-19. And what we found is that in March, April, and May, transplant activity was, was one to 5% of what it had been prior to the, the, uh, the virus. Basically all elective surgeries were shut down. And because 
in many cases, uh, cornea transplants are considered elective surgery. The only time we were doing transplants were for emergencies if somebody had an accident uh, or something else where their cornea was injured. <laughs> we have since recovered and we're pretty much at full capacity now, um, maybe a little bit off, maybe like 10% off uh, where we ordinarily would be. Um, but that means that there are a lot of people that have been waiting longer than they ordinarily would to get their site restored. Um, and one of the challenges we have uh, with corneas is that we can hold the corneas for a while. We can keep the corneas for about two weeks from the time we recover them to the time we place them. So while there have been donors available, um, it's not, this is not a, uh, a, you know, corneas are not something that we can just inventory and, you know, recover them in June and know that we're going to need to transplant them in October. So we have to use them fairly quickly or else they're no longer viable. Uh, so we have had a significant impact, but we are, like I said, um, getting back up to normal uh, and are able to serve our communities as best as possible. You talk about that community of compassion. We've heard from our volunteers um, who are grateful uh, that our staff through COVID is able to still function and still want to do it and still have that passion, that drive. So that's kind of what I hear from you, too. Um, Neil, while we have you, if you had to describe eye donation to someone, how would you do it? Oh, gosh, I don't feel like there's a perfect word for it. There's so many. But if I had to pick one, I would say everlasting, you know, as far as as far as the transplant itself to getting to meet the donor family. I mean, it's something that you keep on to forever. And every time Zoe learns something new or she says something new or she does something new, it, it grows. It grows my heart inch by inch because I know that because of the iBank Association and because of Aolani's family, Zoe's at a point in her life today because of all of those people. And I'm so grateful. We just love you, Nia. <laughs> I just love this little story. All right. So is Nia, uh, is Zoe a Red Sox fan? I see she has a Red she, Sox jersey. What, what's going on? She <laughs> is. Her dad is a huge Red Sox fan. And right now she's in a stage of monkey see, monkey do. So that is her number one thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, she absolutely loves it. Well, we love it. We love the story. Uh, Kevin, we love the campaign, a community of compassion, building hope, restoring sight, changing lives, idonationmonth.org. Uh, Kevin, any final words for those uh, who may be out there and, and thinking about idonation but haven't registered just yet? I think, I mean, I think Nia and, and Zoe are absolutely the best catalyst for causing people to either register to be a donor or if they find themselves in a situation with a family member where they're asked to authorize the donation that they would want to do so. It is such a tremendous opportunity to change the lives of other people. Uh, and it, because you're, you're making the donation after you've passed away, it costs you nothing. It takes uh, no effort except to simply say you want to give a piece of yourself to someone else and know that, uh, honestly, Mia used the word, Beautifully, it's everlasting. You give mm -hmm. this everlasting gift that transforms someone else's life. Beautiful. Guys, if you haven't, idonationmonth.org, you've got to see these pictures. These are, are, are precious folks uh, that really speak uh, to restoring sight and the jobs that we do trying to make life happen. So check that out, idonationmonth.org. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Nia. Bye. Thank, Thank you so you. much.
here on The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. So, Sarah, what are we going to talk about today? All right, today we are going to talk about a really interesting topic that was brought up by Guy Winch, who is a psychologist. Um, so, guys, what do you do when your kid falls down and gets a scratch on his leg? Freaks out next. What do you do <laughs> to help him? Um, number one, I shriek and say, are you okay? Are you okay? Just immediate panic. And run. <laughs> no. Yes. Susanna, what do you do? I actually have the opposite reaction because I have a toddler, so I know that if I stay calm, she stays calm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my reactions take a deep breath and then deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And so how you deal with it is you clean, you bandage it, you do basic first aid on your kid, right? Yeah, that's or what you were going for. Yes. Yes. Got it. Didn't mean your emotional response, but that's good yeah. to know. Laura, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Responding from a very emotional place yes. rather than like the... And I'm all, the, listen to the screams? Like, yeah. is it a bad one? Or okay. <laughs> that's exactly right. So we know how to deal with physical injuries in this country, right? In this world, really. Um, do we know how to deal with our psychological injuries? Well, you just heard, I do not. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, this is this is more of a conversation to say, um, we know what to do when you break a leg, you go to the doctor, yeah. they have a treatment. But why don't we talk about what happens when we sustain psychological injuries? Why isn't that as important as physical injuries? Oh, good. Because the truth is, it is. And we have so much research that backs that sustaining a psychological issue if you don't treat it it will linger and get worse it will create other problems in your life so we need to start focusing more on how to respond to our psychological injuries so with that being said I like what you did there Sarah I like this you like Uh it yeah this is a really good topic and you know it's not actually new literature but I'm really excited um to talk about it today because it's very very um, needed. <laughs> it's needed. Yeah. Right now is a very stressful time. Right now. Mm-hmm. So what are some psychological injuries? Failure, loss, guilt, rumination. These are all things that are injuries to our psyche that are treatable and that are manageable and we can cope with them. Mm-hmm. And if we recognize them first and foremost, then we can deal with them. And that's the main point I want to talk about is recognizing when you're feeling acute stress, recognizing when you are rejected and that hurts you Mm -hmm. and how to handle it. Because knowing that it's just as important as if you break your arm is the first step. And being able to self-reflect. I need a checklist. Give me a checklist. (laughs) Yes. So what does failure do to us? Um, What kind of psychological injury? So what it really does, all of these really is it changes our perception of the way we see the world and how the world sees us in our own minds. So if you Mm -hmm. fail at something, you begin, if you don't treat that failure and that psychological injury, what will happen is you'll begin to take less chances, Mm -hmm. underperform on purpose. Blow to confidence, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a blow to confidence. But if you instead recognize that failure happens sometimes and take it as a learning moment, Mm -hmm. that's treating your psychological injury so that you will challenge yourself and succeed and not be afraid to try new things. The next one, which is, I think, very relevant, especially right now, is loneliness. Loneliness is a very, very hard thing to deal with, and it's a very big blow on your psychological self-esteem. What it does is it makes you afraid to reach out to people. Mm -hmm. It makes you think, Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants I'm to talk burden. to me. So I'm yeah. not going, I'm a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually loneliness research shows that people who experience loneliness and don't treat their loneliness um, have a 
higher chance of an early death through wow. high cholesterol, hypertension. Because um, they don't have anyone checking in with them. Yeah. And you aren't treating your loneliness. You aren't recognizing that sign that, hey, I'm lonely and I need to, you know, do some coping mechanisms. I need to reach out to my friends because the negative thought is nobody cares about me. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. We all know that. And so when you say like treat it to me, that's like medical. But could it just be leaning on your friends? Could it be just having a talk like or or what's the treatment, I guess? Right. So the treatment, we think medical, right? Mm -hmm. But treating psychological injuries are those coping mechanisms. It's reaching out. It's rejecting negative thoughts, Mm -hmm. rejecting, building up your resilience, building Mm -hmm. up your self-esteem, knowing that you're not alone, relying on your support systems. Mm -hmm. Gosh, and you wonder how many people live with these um, problems and don't realize it, have no way of assessing whether they're in that situation Mm -hmm. or not. Right. Because loneliness can happen when you're in a room full of people. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so scary because you don't realize you're alone or you're feeling lonely. And that psychological injury doesn't impact you until later. So you have to recognize it and go with it and pick up those coping skills we know how to do. We already know how to do it. We just need to be able to recognize these psychological injuries. I like that. I'm learning. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. it. All right. Maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover. You can email us info at thegiftedlife.org. It's question and answer time here on The Gifted Life. Susanna, we're going to pull you in knowing your background. So here's the question we received. How does eye donation affect an open casket viewing at a funeral? So eye donation does not affect an open casket funeral. You can have an open casket funeral if you donate eyes, um, usually. They actually place, after they've done the recovery, the recovery tech at the eye bank will place a eye cap prosthetic underneath the eye so you'd never know that the patient had been a donor. And same with organ and tissue donation. Your donation will not affect your funeral arrangements at all. So it's good to know, and you can have any kind of funeral arrangement you would like. Yeah. And we love that these questions come in and that people are talking about this because facts, education, it's really key. So thanks for that question. Yeah. And if y'all have a question for us you want answered on the podcast, give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today, we learn about Aolani from her family. Aolani was 10 years old when she was tragically killed in a car accident. Not long before her death, Aolani had accompanied her mother, Rosie, on a trip to the DMV to renew Rosie's driver's license. Rosie explained to Aolani that she was registering as an organ donor so she could help other people and give the gift of life and sight to others. Aolani nodded in agreement and said that she too thought organ donation was the right thing to do because it could save lives. Because of this conversation, Rosie was fully confident in her decision to donate Aolani's organs after her passing. As a donor hero, Aolani contributed both her corneas and her heart. It is a true testament to her generous spirit and commitment to help others. Aolani will forever be remembered as a vibrant and outgoing young girl. Always inquisitive, she was on staff at her school's newspaper and enjoyed asking her fellow students questions and reporting on the activities going on throughout the year. Her duties also included announcing school events and daily birthdays on the in-school network announcements. Aolani was also very creative and enjoyed doing arts and crafts. She loved to make bracelets and kept a notebook for sketching out ideas and drawings, making notes about the world around her and how she could make it better. She loved coming up with ideas for inventions to create when she was older. Her legacy of generosity lives on in Zoe, 
and the other recipients she helped. And now we pause and give thanks to Eilani for the gift of life. Another episode of The Gifted Life has come to a close. That's episode 147. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please spread the word. We are a team. And remember, you can register anytime as an organ, tissue, and eye donor at registerme.org. And I'd also like to thank Kevin and Nia for um, coming on the show today and sharing with us more information about eye donation, eye donation month, and a community of compassion. The best place to find us, guys, is our website, thegiftedlife.org, where you can listen to any of our episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. If you do listen on Apple, go ahead and give us a five-star rating so that others can find our podcast. Good. On social media, we know you're out there. We know you're scrolling. Like our page, please. Facebook, we're The Gifted Life Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, we're at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for listening. Please spread the word. Let's make life happen together. We can do it. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Until next time. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.